Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. And your faithfulness tonight to the kingdom of God, to this congregation, what a blessing it is to live, breathe, have our being in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I want you to turn with me tonight to the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you join me there. Amen. 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look together in the chapter 4 of this book. This letter written by the Apostle Paul tonight. And a message that I want to share with you. Uh, Before we get into the message tonight, I want to just put in a word. We've had some things happening in in our state and in the news recently that I I feel that uh, I need to give some direction and some kingdom uh, uh, perspective on the things that are happening. Um, So last week, you might have noticed that there was a law that passed in the state of New York a law which, uh, which removed all of the barriers to late-term abortions. Uh, also last week, at the same time, the legislature is convening here in the state of Virginia, Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, another delegate from the uh, Richmond area uh, proposed a similar law right here in Virginia to remove the restrictions for late-term abortion allowing abortions to take place even up to the very day that babies are being born. Now, you might say, Pastor, that's controversial. That's something in the news. We don't need to hear about that. Oh, yes, we do. We need to know when there is evil happening under our noses, and there is evil happening under our noses. The destruction of a human life is evil, whether that life is five days old, whether that life is 50 years old, or whether that life is five days before birth, or even five days after conception. If it is created by God tonight, then it is precious, it is made in His image, and those are not fetuses, those are not zygotes, those are not whatever you want to call them, those are babies. Those are human beings made in God's image, And abortion is murder tonight. Can we be real? And so I want to make you aware tonight that there is is a movement happening in our country that uh, would remove all restrictions from uh, abortions even in late terms. And we as God's people, we have to, to stand up to this. We cannot be silent. We cannot... Uh, we cannot allow this to continue. And so I want to encourage you to let your voice be heard. How do I do that? 
contact the senator, contact the representative, contact somebody, write an email, be active, do something. Don't just wait for someone else to say something. We need to be God's people. We need to be the salt and the light in this generation. Uh, Tomorrow, I and my family, we are going to travel up to Richmond. There is a rally happening on the Capitol grounds, a rally to support life and to let those delegates and those senators know and understand that there are people who are paying attention to what's happening in those legislative bodies. There's going to be at least 2,000 people there just for the state of Virginia. Um, we, me and my family will be there. If you have a day uh, available, I would uh, encourage you to come as well. It's, uh, it's, the event is happening on the state capitol grounds from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., there's a lot of pro-life organizations that are being represented there. And uh, so I, uh, I'm going to be representing this church, but more than that, I'm going to be representing my family. In 100 years from now, I believe there will be another generation that rises up and looks back at us today and says, how could you allow this? They'll look back on us the same way we look back today on the founding era and we say, how could there be slavery in the United States of America? That's how we, how we look at it. And we say, how could, how could we allow that evil to occur under their noses? I believe that in 100 years it'll be the same. They look back on us and think about abortion. I want to make sure that my voice is heard. That 100 years from now, that people will think about me and my family that we stood up to this evil. And we would not allow it to continue. So that's just for free tonight. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want to... Preach out of the Word of God this evening a message that is close to my heart and a message that ought to be close to your heart, a truth from the Scripture that we cannot ignore and we cannot deny and we cannot escape. It is a call tonight that every Christian needs to take seriously. If you are saved, if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, If you name yourself as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, then the message I'm going to preach tonight is for you. It's not for the person at the end of the row. It's not for your husband or your wife or for your kids or for other people. No, I want you to put that out of your mind tonight, and I want you to say, this message is for me. Why don't we say it together tonight? This message is for me. All right, so... Let's stop pointing fingers, and let's think about ourselves tonight. This is the one question that I think we need to be asking ourselves more often. What am I supposed to be doing as a believer in Jesus Christ? What does God want me to do? As believers, we understand that we have been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. Do you remember tonight the price that was paid for your salvation? Do you remember all that Jesus did so that you and I could have forgiveness and fellowship with the Father? Do you remember the blood that was shed? Do you remember the thorns in His head? Do you remember the nails in His hands and in His feet? Do you remember that He was pierced? And blood and water flowed from his heart as it burst on your behalf. Do you remember that he was raised up on the third day 
for you. And now, as you hopefully can remember those things, comes the question, Lord, if you've done so much for me, then what am I supposed to be doing for you? And the message I'm about to preach tonight is part of that answer. The rest of our lives on earth ought to be answering this question, what am I supposed to do for you, God? Are you ready for this? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and beginning with verse 3. For this is the will of God. Doesn't get any clearer than that tonight. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That means your body. In sanctification and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Verse 8, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. Let your people have wisdom as followers of Christ tonight. And may, may we all take seriously this call to holiness, to righteousness. Lord, to be free from the filth and the uncleanness that clings to our souls. Let us be free from every slavery and every bondage tonight that we can live for you and accomplish your will for our lives. We thank you tonight, all that you're going to do, in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, can I tell you tonight, God wants you to be holy. So, are you holy? This is the call that we all must be taking seriously tonight. There are areas in all of our lives, the Bible says that we are sinners. And yet, even God who is patient with us, who is long-suffering with us, but we must take seriously tonight this call. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That word sanctification simply means every day we ought to be getting closer and closer to that goal of holiness. Holiness. God wants you to be holy. 1 Peter verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 15. As he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. It's interesting that Peter feels that he needs to point that out. He says that it's not good enough just to call yourself holy. It's not good enough just to show up in a religious atmosphere and tell everyone how holy you are. He says, No, 
in your conduct, in the way that you act. See, it's easy for us to come into a church service and put on a face of holiness, put on an image, adjust the tie, see, Pastor, how good I've got it all together. And how do you treat your wife? And how do you treat your children? And how do you treat the will of God? And how do you treat idiots who cut you off in traffic? And how do you treat young people? How do you treat your parents? And how do you treat your pastor? (laughs) Just putting it out there. God has called us to holiness. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. There are people who approach me from time to time and say, Pastor, I just don't know what it is God wants me to do. I took your little test. And I found my spiritual gift. But I don't know how to use it, Pastor. What should I do? How does God want me to live? This is the place to begin tonight. The first thing that you and I need to start working on as believers and the continual goal of our lives ought to be this, sanctification. It means when you take something that is normal and you make it into something holy. That is what God wants to do with all of us. Can I tell you that this is what you were made to do? When God originally made Adam and Eve in the garden, God did not make them for sin. God did not design humanity to live the way we live now. God did not design us to experience sickness or death, which are the results of sin. God designed us to be holy. And when the Bible speaks about sin, it speaks about the idea of missing the mark. It's the idea of an archer shooting an arrow, and the target is straight, the bow is true, but the problem is that sin warps the arrow. If you are the arrow, God has called you to fly straight and true. God has called you to hit the mark for God. And yet, when your life begins to go forth, because of sin, we are warped, we are twisted, we are bent. And no matter how hard we try, because we are infected by sin, we will always swerve off of the mark. That's what sin does to your heart. It's what sin does to your mind. It's what sin does to your family. It's what sin does to your money. It's what sin does. It causes you and I to miss the mark. Tonight, there are a lot of reasons that we should not be involved in sin. (laughs) I I mean, I think that that should be obvious tonight, but I want to give you some concrete and some real reasons, some things to consider tonight, why you should not be sinning, okay? Now, I know that we all have a conscience, we feel guilt when we sin, but there are some other reasons tonight that the Bible gives us why sin is a really dumb idea. So I'd like, I'd like you to indulge me for a few moments, and I'm going to give you some reasons why sin is a really bad idea, okay? <clears throat> Number one. 
sin does not satisfy you. Do you remember in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe when the White Witch offered young Edmund a box of Turkish delight? And, oh, Edmund, if you'd just come with me, if you'd just do what I tell you to do, then I'll give you that lovely Turkish delight. And if you read the book, you will find that the more he ate it, the more sick that he became. Even though it tasted so delicious in his mouth, as it came down into his stomach, it became something painful and irritating. This is the idea of sin. Sin is something that we desire. Our flesh desires. And truly, sin does bring momentary pleasure. If sin was not pleasurable, then no one would do it. But sin does have a temporary gain. The problem is that it does not ultimately satisfy. Hebrews 11.25, it says that, there is, that, that sin is only pleasurable for a season. After the drugs wear off, after the alcohol exits the body, after the effects of your lies are exposed, sin does not satisfy. Tonight, I want to remind you that the devil will write checks that he can't cash. And when you face a temptation to sin, remember this. It might feel good for a moment, but it will never satisfy. Number two, sin always leads to more sin. Sin is not a dead-end road. Sin is like one of those mazes that you enter in the front gate and you have no idea all the complications you're about to enter into. Sin always leads to more sin. Proverbs 5, verse 22, The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him, and the cords of his sin hold him fast. And so when you sin tonight, when you make a decision to break the laws of God, to go against His will, you are literally tying yourself in knots. A believer is bound by a set of dead rules and regulations. Oswald Chambers said it like this, Worldly people imagine that the saints must find it difficult to live with so many restrictions. But the bondage is actually in the world, not in the saints. In other words, when you are set free from sin, when you become a Christian, you become a slave of Christ, that's when we find true freedom. But when we enter into sin, beloved, sin always leads to more sin. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Proverbs 27.20, the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And like those who indulge themselves for hours and engorge themselves at the tables of the local buffet. Have you seen those people? My Lord. They go in there, have to sit on two chairs. And they're not there to have a nice meal. They're there to get their money's worth. They eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner three times a day. 
That is a picture of what sin does to us. Number three, not only does sin lead to more sin, sin leads to greater depths of sin. How many ever figured that out? When you give yourself to sin, not, it does not only lead to more sin, it leads to a worse sin. There is a certain gravity that is in the world, a gravity that is of our flesh, and that gravity is constantly pulling us lower and lower into our carnal nature. If you simply do nothing about it, the gravity of sin will pull you deeper into the depths of bondage tonight. It begins small, right? Addictions, they always begin small. I've heard testimonies. Yeah, one day somebody offered me a cigarette. And that cigarette led me to the wrong crowd. And that cigarette became a joint. And then that joint turned into cocaine. And then that cocaine turned into heroin. And then by the time I knew it, right, I was at the end of my rope. Sin not only leads to more sin, it leads to worse sin. It's true of pornography. What used to be so tempting, you couldn't resist. Now it's just, you know, that's, that's for the kiddos. I've got to find something more hardcore, more disgusting. It's the gravity of sexual sin that doesn't find pleasure anymore and constantly has to become worse and worse. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. How many still with me tonight? Number four, sin enslaves us. Nobody wants to be a slave. Let me see your hand if you want to be a slave. Of course you don't. Being a slave means you have no freedom. It means you have no rights. It means you have to do someone else's will. It means you have no future, no ability to do what you want to do. Especially when the master is harsh to you, selfish or cruel. Just think tonight, if you were a personal slave to Satan, how would he treat you? And yet, this is what happens every time we give ourselves to sin. We become more and more of a slave to our enemy. This is one of the greatest reasons that we should take seriously the call to holiness. Because I don't want to be the devil's slave. I don't want to do what he does. Have you become a slave of the enemy tonight? I want to continue. Number five, sin degrades and humiliates us. We we see it almost on a daily basis these days of people who are prominent public figures who all of a sudden it comes out, right? It comes out that they were involved in some gross immorality and do you remember um, Lance Armstrong? What an incredible story, this guy. Lance Armstrong, for years, was a cyclist. And he did all right, but then uh, he contracted uh, some kind of cancer. I forget. Yeah, and he got cancer, and uh, he went through this uh, chemotherapy. And as he did that, his body transformed. And he lost some pounds that he couldn't lose before, But when he came back from that cancer, his body somehow was stronger, and he began to win these Tour de France's, right? One after another, and I think it was like six of them or seven of them. And everybody, man, Lance Armstrong, every year, wow, the American winning these amazing, and we were all cheering for him. 
right? And then it comes out. He was doping the whole time. He was taking all kinds of uh, enhancement drugs. He was cycling his blood through his body during the breaks at the races. And so when you think about Lance Armstrong today, you know, you don't think about the trophies. You don't think about the victories. You don't think about the replays of him pedaling up the mountains in France. You know what you think about? Loser. Cheater. Scandal. Reputation becomes stained. Can I tell you, this is what happens to those who continue in sin. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 1, As dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment, cause it to give off a foul odor, so does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. I want you to think about Samson for a moment. Samson was a hero in the Word of God. He was called to be a judge, and he was called to be a great hero for the people of Israel, a deliverer like Moses. He was called and he was specially equipped and strengthened by God to fight thousands of people at the same time. Samson. Ask Samson tonight if his sin was ignored. Ask him if his little sexual flings on the side were worth it. Ask him. In the end, they put out his eyes. And they shackled him like an animal because he entered into this arena of sin. Number six, sin will steal your joy. I feel some of your joy is leaving tonight, but it's true. You'll see it many times when people come in the house of God. A time when we're supposed to be praising and worshiping and clapping our hands and our eyes closed and hands lifted, and yet there's that one person just waiting for the songs to get over. But something has changed. Something has shifted. And I always wonder, when a Christian doesn't have joy, it means something's wrong. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Nehemiah 8.10 That His presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 16.11 Proverbs 17.22 A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. What sin does in our hearts tonight is sin causes us to lose our joy. Now, don't be confused tonight. I'm not saying that just because you're a Christian means every day is going to be a smile on your face. Sometimes we, we go through hard things, yes. And God has asked us to endure hard things. But even in the midst of hard things, even in the midst of discipline, can I tell you, if you're serving God and you're right with Him, you can still have joy. You can still have peace. But sin will rob you of that joy that you're supposed to have. Number seven, sin steals our confidence before God. This, I believe, is one of the great points that the church misses out. I want to tell you tonight, sin can steal your purity and your innocence, and then what happens is it makes you uneasy with God. It means you don't pray the same anymore. It means you don't, you don't uh, give the same anymore. It means you don't 
witness to people. People, I wonder how many people don't come to outreach because you're nursing some, some pet sin in the back and, and you really, you're just feeling guilty. I don't really want to tell people. I don't really want to be a minister because I don't feel like I'm in the right place. And the kingdom of God misses out on your ministry tonight because you've lost confidence before the Lord. Sin, of course, always leads to death. Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. God will not hold sin unpunished. Did you know that tonight? That He is a holy and a just God. And just because you can get away with sin without being struck by lightning does not mean that your sin will go unpunished. Sin will always be punished. There are laws of the universe, as sure as the law of gravity, as sure as the law thermodynamics. If you smoke cigarettes, it's going to harm your body. If you drink alcohol long enough, it's going to be cirrhosis of the liver. If you eat potato chips for long enough, it'll lead to obesity and heart disease. And sure enough, if you continue in sin, it will rot away your soul. I lost all the amens. I'm not sure what happened. But I want you to remember tonight that God notices our sins. He notices. And He takes note tonight. Listen to what He says in the book of Revelation. We're reading through Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. Verse 5, if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Verse 16, repent, otherwise I will soon come to you and I will fight against you with the sword of my mouth. Does that mean anything to you? I never want to hear those words spoken by God to me. I will come and fight against you. You're in big trouble tonight if the Lord God is fighting against you because he doesn't lose. He doesn't lose tonight. Just a couple more. Sin hurts the Lord. It hurts you. But it also hurts your family and your friends. Sin never exists on its own. Sin always has a permeating factor. It begins to leak out. It begins to have an effect on those around you. Sin never stops with you alone. If you think tonight that you can keep sin secret, keep it hidden, keep it away, you're fooling yourself. It was Thomas Brooks who said this, How does the father's sin infect his child? his wife. How sin is in one man's heart is able to infect a whole world is such a spreading and infectious nature. This is why Paul compared it to the leaven 
He says that yeast that you put in the bread, if you've ever cooked bread, you know that you just put a little tiny a bit of yeast into that bread and, and it begins to spread throughout the entire lump of dough in just a few moments. And it's also true in your life, in your family, in your church. This is why we as a church, we practice church discipline. Because we must remember that sin is a reproach. And it is effective. It reproaches not only the name of God, not only used personally, but also it brings reproach, especially for the Christian. It brings reproach to the name of Jesus. I'm sorry to report this to you tonight, but you are representing Jesus wherever you go. And when you become a hypocrite, you are giving a bad name to the church and ultimately to Jesus. When you are walking in unholiness, when you are living, when you are speaking, when you are thinking evil thoughts, that is not just a reproach on you, but upon us as a body and upon Jesus himself. And we need to take that seriously tonight. Public sins. And by the way, all sins eventually will become public. That's what the Bible says. But public sins make the church look bad. This is why so many in the world today, they say, I'll I'll never go back to church. And you know the reason why? Because of a sinning Christian. Because of a father or a mother who said they were a Christian, but abused their children. Oh, if that's what a Christian does, I'll never serve Jesus. I'll never darken the door of a church again. How many people today are hurting, looking for an answer in their life, but because of a previous person that they knew, soiled the name of Jesus, and they're missing out on the love and compassion that Christ has for them. This is why we have to take this seriously tonight. I could go on of the effects of sin, but I think you get the idea. And so because sin has such a powerful effect on your life and on mine, this is why God says we have to be holy. We have to take this call to holiness very, very seriously. I want you to turn with me tonight to the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, a fantastic scripture that illustrates for us the holiness of God and what effect it has on our lives. Now let me just set the scene for you. I've, I've preached about this many times tonight, but it's worth a revisit once again. The scripture we're about to read was written by a holy guy, a prophet named Isaiah, one of the great prophets in the history of Israel. He was widely respected. He was a man known with a good reputation. He was a man who was close, confidant of the king of the day. He had spoken for God many times. People looked up to this man as a spiritual leader and as a spokesperson for God himself. In Isaiah chapter 6, this great prophet had an encounter with a holy God. And it had an effect on him. My prayer tonight is that you would realize the holiness of the same God that Isaiah had. And you would have a confrontation tonight as well. In Isaiah chapter 6, the Bible says, let me, let me get... Let me get there myself. 
chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim. These are angels. Angels that were crafted specifically with the intention of worshiping a holy God at all times. Listen to their description. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew and they cried one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Isaiah is seeing this preview of heaven. He is catching a glimpse of the incredible holiness of God. And can I tell you, this is only the tip of the iceberg. All of heaven, all of creation, all of the universe is centered on this moment. God being worshipped in holiness. And as God's holiness was revealed, look at the effect. Verse 4, the posts of the door were shaken. By the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, now here's where it gets interesting. The holiness of God is revealed. And that holiness, that amazing righteousness and purity of God has an effect on this righteous man. Watch what it does. So I said, woe is me. That word woe is a word of judgment. It's a word of condemnation. If you read the first five chapters of the same book, Isaiah, he is pronouncing judgment and woe upon various nations that have sinned against God. And he's saying woe to, those, to that nation. Woe to those people who have sinned. Woe to you who have come against Israel. But now, as the holiness of God is revealed to him, he is saying woe unto me. I am undone. The word in Hebrew It means to be literally taken apart piece by piece. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Almost without trying, almost as if it was automatic, the holiness of God began to reveal something in Isaiah his own uncleanliness, his own sins. He begins to profess and confess his uncleanness before the Lord. See, the the reason that many of God's people don't practice confession is because they don't have a revelation of who God is, how holy and righteous he is. The Bible says we ought to be confessing our sins one to another. When's the last time you confessed? When's the last time you told somebody that you made a mistake, that you sinned, that you did something wrong? That's a measure of your spiritual health tonight. Confession. Because don't, don't, uh, don't paint yourself up tonight. Listen, I know that there's, there's things happening in your life. Do you know how I know that? Because there's things happening in my life. That I'm still a sinner. That there, I'm still attached to this flesh. And that there is still things in me that don't want to serve God. So if it's true of the preacher, I know it's true of you. And we can hide behind our little religious deeds that we try to do on Sundays and Wednesdays. 
I'm asking, when's the last time you confessed? I hope tonight you'll catch a glimpse like Isaiah did of the holiness and the holiness and the righteousness of God. Can I tell you, this is also God's plan for your life. That you would understand how holy He is and that it would have an effect on the way that you speak, the way that you act, the way that you treat other people. So here's the hope tonight. God can change you. God did not leave Isaiah the same way. When Isaiah confessed his sins, when he began to profess the sins of his nation, of the midst of a people of unclean lips, he said, look at what happened, verse 6. One of the seraphim flew to me, this angel of God, in the presence of God. And in, in his hand was a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with the coal. Do you believe that that was a pleasant experience? Maybe kind of like this service tonight is not exactly a pleasant experience. Maybe kind of like reading a few scriptures is not always a pleasant experience, is it? And yet that live coal, when the angel touched his mouth, a live coal not only can bring some pain, but it can also do some healing, can cauterize a wound, can cause things to be cleansed and purified. And he says, behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin, listen to that, your sin is purged. God wants to make you pure. He wants to separate you from the things that are killing you. He does. That's why this is His will, the will of God, which is your sanctification. You say, Pastor, that's really hard. Yep. That's why it takes a whole lifetime. Salvation is the miracle of a moment. When you come and ask Jesus to forgive your sins and you, uh, you come to an altar and your life is full of junk and you say, Jesus, man, I got nothing to offer you. But I'm yours if you want me. That is the miracle of a moment. And in a moment, you become God's child. Your sins are washed away. But the miracle of the lifetime is this, sanctification. That day when you got saved, was the beginning of your sanctification. This is the will of God, that you would be sanctified. And may I remind you tonight that your sanctification does not depend on God alone. It depends on you making decisions. It depends on you practicing confession, practicing repentance. But here's the good news tonight as we close. Going back to our scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 7. God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. But here's where it gets good. Listen carefully. God who has also given us his, what? Holy Spirit. 
He has given us His Holy Spirit. You ought to start getting excited now. This is good news. It's good news because, if we'll be honest right now, we all know that our sins are so strong in our lives that we can't break them on our own. You might have a desire tonight, after all that I've said, to say, man, I can recognize the effects of sin and breaking me. It's hurting me. It's hurting my family. It's hurting my children. But the problem is we're so ingrained. We're so trained in our sin that we can't break free in our own strength. This is why we need the Holy Spirit. And this is why God gave us the Holy Spirit. But the day of Pentecost was far more than just speaking in tongues and preaching the gospel. The reason God gave us the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was so that our lives could be changed. You don't have to be the same. You don't have to continue in your sin. You can become more holy than you are right now. You can. The problem is many of us are lazy or we're distracted or we become settled in and used to our sins that God despises. God gave us the Holy Spirit. So what have we done with it? Tonight, my call, once again, is the will of God for your life to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be made holy. And once you find yourself on that path, path of sanctification, I can guarantee you this. God says there's a person that I can use. There's a person I can put into my purpose, my will for the world. God will use those who are serious about the call to holiness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight as we bring this service to an end. My prayer tonight is that you would catch a glimpse of God's holiness. Can I tell you, He is pure. He is holy. He is righteous. The Bible says about... We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.